0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, we're excited to bring back a special lecture by popular demand from season one of Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts by Dr. Dan Hurley, an endocrinologist from the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Hurley is also an expert on patient provider communication skills. We'll be discussing effective communication skills for a timed strap practice. Let's listen in. One of the most common complaints from patients is that their healthcare provider doesn't listen to them. Providers commonly complain that due to economic constraints, the time they have with the patient is becoming increasingly shorter and inadequate. This creates a dilemma for the caregiver and makes it more difficult to obtain the information needed to develop a care plan and establish the rapport needed to create a meaningful provider patient relationship. As a result, it's now more important than ever for healthcare providers to have effective communication with their patients. Today, we're joined by Dr. Dan Hurley, an endocrinologist from the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Hurley is also an expert in teaching provider-patient communication skills. Dan, thank you for coming in today to talk about this topic. Thank you, Daryl.
1: Pleasure now, to be here.
0: Now, I don't know if it's the same in your house, but when my wife hears that I'm supposed to be a communication skills expert, she thinks it's very funny. Now, is it different in your house?
1: Uh, no, I think it's pretty the much same. the same. It's the same.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about communication and what are the proven benefits of good communication between the healthcare provider and the patient?
1: I think that's a very important question. Daryl. thanks for asking. The, the key for me is to establish a relationship. And with that relationship, then there's a bond between the physician and the patient. And when communication is used effectively, uh, studies have shown that there's increased satisfaction between that relationship for the physician and also for the patient. And with that relationship, I think there's a, um, kind of a sense of togetherness, um, shared decision-making, and I think that goes a long way in compliance of treatment uh, one of the things we're dealing with in medication, not in only in endocrinology, but in other areas of medicine, I should say, is compliance of medication, compliance of uh, treatment. And so the relationship for that is critical. Uh, another area would be to help uh, reduce errors, I think, and how we respond to errors uh, if they do occur. And... Um, um, what about you? What are your thoughts well, in that regard? Well,
0: you mentioned patient satisfaction, and that is now being evaluated by our patients. They receive surveys after seeing us, and one of the things they're looking for is how good was our communication with them. So that, that's being evaluated, and that's very important for some providers. It may even have an effect on their, uh, their salary.
1: Yeah, that's that's true, and I have those evaluations as well. And uh, sometimes I, I think I can assess what that evaluation is going to be before the patient even leaves. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. they have a smile on their face, whether they have a question mark on their face. Uh, if they have a smile in their, on their face, I think that my communication with them during that visit has been effective. Yeah. If they have a question, I rather than let them go, I, I want to address that. And uh, maybe a, even address why they look puzzled to make sure that we're on the same page.
0: And I think one other benefit is that uh, we tend to get uh, sued less frequently when we have good communication, so it's in a good rapport with our patients.
1: I wouldn't know about that, Daryl.
0: Well, I'll let you know some other time. But let's talk about ways that we tend to fall short in terms of our communication with our patients. Um, What are some examples of things that we often do incorrectly? The most common thing that we
1: do um, myself included even for someone who has been taught how to um, pay attention to um, the interview process is that we tend to interrupt our patients we don't let them finish the story and I think part of that is because as physicians we're short of time we want to make sure that we have all the data that we think that we need to make the diagnosis to be able to Um, order the right tests that we think that we will need and provide the the right treatment. So one of the mistakes, I think, is to try and direct the story rather than to listen to the story. And uh, some studies show that uh, even from past where we would interrupt frequently uh, within a short period of time, maybe within 18 to 20 seconds, uh, that we are not doing much better. And I think part of that is the stress of... Uh, seeing more patients, dealing with electronic medical record. But that's certainly a thing that we could do better. A communication piece we could do better is to just listen. Uh, Sometimes I'll find myself being in a hurry, but I will look at my watch and check the time and just wait a minute or two. And a a minute or two when you're not watching your watch is a long time. It is, it is. Um, But uh, it's not that much time in terms of the course of the story. And patients usually end up uh, fairly quickly with their story if we just allow them to
0: speak it now you mentioned listening and again in uh, in our household listening is an issue um i actually suspected my wife wasn't listening to me because she had some reduced hearing so i decided to test her so i stood about eight feet behind her and i said dear what's for dinner no response i walked up about two more feet dear what's for dinner nothing no response Stepped up again right behind her. Dear, what's for dinner? She turned around and said, for the third time, I'm telling you, we're having chicken. So my audiogram (laughs) is scheduled for next week. Listening is important.
1: It it is indeed. And uh, sometimes we're wanting, especially in the home environment, it's kind of fun to try these skills at home, actually. It is. In the home environment, we, we tend to want to finish the other person's sentence. Or we try and communicate without paying attention. And we may get into this a little bit later, but nonverbal communication is critical. Very important. Are we paying attention to someone? I remember um, being in a conversation where I started talking and someone pulled out their cell phone. So I stopped and they looked at me and said, what's the matter? I said, well, wait till you're done, because if we don't pay attention to someone by nonverbal cues, then it it sends a message that we're not respecting them or we're not interested.
0: Yeah, I remember reading someplace that uh, some learned speaker said that about 95% of what the patient takes away is not by what we actually said, by what They gain from watching us and just our nonverbal clues and cues.
1: Yes, I agree. And and as a physician, I can learn a lot if I turn away from the computer and the electronic medical record and just focus on the patient. Mm -hmm. You know, what's their facial expression? I can hear their tone of voice, but facial expression is important as well.
0: Yeah, in the past, I would spend a lot of time instructing our students not to take too many notes. And today, it's not too much time staring at the monitor. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. Well, what about asking focused versus open-ended questions? That's important.
1: Yeah, I think that both are important because we want to get to the diagnosis, but it's very important to ask open-ended questions first. Um, a simple question after an introduction to a patient would be, tell me why you're here, and then just to sit back and listen. I can always cone down a little bit later. But if a patient stops uh, or if they're you know, not used to being asked an open-ended question, uh, rather than cone down too quickly, I may say, tell me more or uh, share more of your story. Or I may even uh, delve into emotions somewhat and say, uh, what do you think about what you just shared or what's behind what you just shared? just trying to get them to open up a little bit more. That does two things. One, it lets me know what they're thinking and how they're feeling, and I think it's also important to get the patient speaking to develop a relationship with me.
0: And again, as you said earlier, it's so important to let our patients talk and for us to listen. And by asking an open-ended question, asking them to describe their symptoms, we get a much richer and more accurate description of what's going on, rather than us asking us, you know, them focused You know, quick questions. Is it left? Is it right? Is it sharp? Is it dull? So forth. I agree.
1: I heard it described as a train going down the track. If we interrupt, we derail them going down the track or a car going down the road. They take a different path. Uh, The other thing about directed questions is it makes them stop their story and ask, um, I'm sorry, and answer the question that I've asked. Mm -hmm. And so it uh, They will respond to that, of course, but it may change the train of thought.
0: And I know providers feel that that's a faster way to get information, Mm -hmm. but but if you're not getting accurate information, it's maybe not saving you that much time.
1: Right, exactly. Not effective information for the patients, therefore.
0: Okay. This episode is sponsored in part by GibLib, G-I-B-L-I-B an on-demand library of medical talks covering the most important and advanced topics trending in primary and specialty care. Subscribe now to learn from subject matter experts from Mayo Clinic's top conferences. Subscribers to Giblib receive unlimited access to new exclusive content released every week. Learn more by visiting giblib.com/mayoclinic and use promo code MayoTalks to receive one month of free access. That's GibLib, G-I-B-L-I-B dot com slash Mayo Clinic. How about using medical jargon?
1: Uh, we all use too much of it. And I, I believe the reason that I do it is because I'm accustomed to it. I Mm -hmm. deal with it every day. I talk to my colleagues in medical jargon terminology. And uh, that's where it's really important to come back to what you said about the nonverbal communication. If I see a quizzical look on a face, I will stop. Um, So uh, it's important if we're going to have shared decision-making. Patients have to understand what we're sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I will do sometimes, um, because I use medical jargon more than I should, is to stop and just ask, um, what do you think about what I shared with you? Or can you share back uh, what I just uh, discussed with you? Or um, how would you explain something I just shared with you to your loved one or spouse sure. in that regard? So yeah. that gives me an idea of if I've uh, spent too much time talking medical jargon versus you know more um, common information mm-hmm. that's uh, available for the patient to understand.
0: Well, we don't realize this, but we actually speak a foreign language, you know, that of medicine. <laughs> Good point. And uh, we're just immersed in it, and it just uh, we get it gradually. So we're not even aware of it. But we do talk that foreign language to our colleagues, and we just have to remember that our patients don't speak that language.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm reminded of that when I go to the bank or go to the sure. to the car dealer to get something taken care of of my car too. That's the foreign language yeah. to me.
0: Or listening to life insurance description. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So what are some simple things that we could do to improve our communication skills?
1: Well, first, uh, just uh, in our busy schedules, take a deep breath and realize that you have time and that you want to have effective time. One of the things in getting the story out after an open-ended question is using a skill that I really like, and that's just what else. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be shared in various different ways uh, rather than say, uh, what else? Uh, Tell me more. Uh, Go on, um, anything else. Um, But that allows the patient to tell their story. And after a while, they're going to say, I don't have anything else. And then we can cone down to what they've shared.
0: And that sets an agenda. And one of the most important things I've learned after practicing for over 30 years is it's so important to know what you're going to be doing during this time with the patient. So agenda setting is so important. And you're going to, this stuff's going to come out anyway. So you might as well get it out at the beginning. How many problems does a patient have that you need to set time to discuss? And Mm -hmm. if there's too many, you need to prioritize. But Mm -hmm. it's really wise to get an idea of what the patient wants because so often patients leave our office with unanswered questions or unanswered issues they just didn't bring up. Do you have a
1: specific way of how you like to set the agenda with a patient?
0: Um, I ask them, as you did, I, I ask them what kind of problem brings you here And they tell me, and I says, and as they often start describing it, I say, whoa, whoa, before you do that, any other problems? And they'll maybe list another one. I says, what else? Anything else? And eventually they do run out of problems. Occasionally I get a patient who brings in a list, and I think it's really important that we look at that list and not just allow the patient to say, well, you know, I'm going to talk about these first four there might be something on that list that's extremely important, you know, passing out or rectal bleeding or something you you just cannot not discuss. Yeah,
1: I like that a lot, Daryl, because it's like going to the grocery store without a list. I come back home and, you know, someone will say, well, you forgot the bread or you forgot the ice cream or forgot the something on the list. And so I do the same thing that you do. And with a list, then I can turn to the patient and say, we have a list in front of us Mm -hmm. and we have so much time together today. And I ask them what do they think on that list is the most important thing to them? And then I tell them what I think is the most important thing to me. Yep. Sometimes it's more than one, it could be two or three, and then we set the agenda, like you say, for the time that we have to focus just on that. The, the rest of the list is important, but we may want to postpone it till another time.
0: Exactly, prioritize, get the important things done, and then mm-hmm. you can do the others later. Mm-hmm. Right, very good. What about reflective listening? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you use that in terms of understanding that getting your patient to know that what you said was what you actually meant?
1: So reflective listening, is that what you were asking about? That's
0: what I was asking about. Dan. So
1: that's an example of what I would use is just to echo back sometimes what the patient has said. And then to make sure that I ask the patient ahead of time of what their concerns are, what their emotions are and then just reflect that back so what I've heard you say as an example Mm -hmm. is that uh, a list is important and making a list is important to set an agenda is that correct and then uh, uh, hopefully you would say yes that's what I shared with you just a little bit earlier and that's a way that the patient then hears what I'm sharing back to them is what they actually said so checking in every once in a while, what we call talk back or share back, mm-hmm. can be helpful. Um, and sometimes I will um, also respond to what they're sharing back to me. If I see that they are looking a little concerned, I'll point that out. You look concerned mm-hmm. or you look um, frightened or you look confused. And just actually kind of name that and, and check in with them that way as well. Yeah, that's To
0: identify the emotion that you're seeing. Exactly,
1: yeah. Sometimes as physicians, we don't want to delve into that emotional area. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I found over time is that patients are relieved when they have an avenue to then share their emotion as well as the content.
0: What I like to do at the end of the interview is try to summarize what was discussed. And then at the end, I ask, is there anything we missed? Anything I didn't talk about that you wanted to Sometimes there's some very sensitive things that they're kind of reluctant to bring up, and that last little push might get them to say, Yeah, doc, there's just this one thing I've been really worried about. And that Mm -hmm. might get them to open up a little bit more. Yes. Because we're, you know, so often these patients, we've only known them for 15 minutes. Yes. And we're asking them very sensitive questions, and uh, they need to develop the rapport with us, and that has to happen quickly.
1: Right. if I could just delve in a little bit more about the reflection part sure. of it, Daryl. So um, oftentimes if I'm busy in the office and I know someone's coming to see me because they're referred for a particular issue, maybe it's diabetes or starting insulin or osteoporosis therapy, I know on the chart why that the patient is referred to me, and I may just jump right into that after a while and tell them what they need to do for their diabetes or for their osteoporosis. And it gets to be a in my are going to tell 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 type mm-hmm. of thing because I have so much to cover and there's so much I want them to know. And what I found is that patients feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And they really don't retain anything. They just feel actually more anxious. So one of the things I like to think about in terms of the art of communication is just that mnemonics of art. Asking the patient what they know about their osteoporosis or diabetes. Um reflect back what I hear from them. Um, both from content and emotion, and then to tell or share with them um, what is um, important, what are myths, and where we want to go for the next step. So just to continue on with that repetition of ask, reflect, tell or share back, ask, Mm -hmm. reflect, tell or share back. I think that's really the art of communication in
0: our patient encounters. Let's finish up with a very difficult situation and we all have to do this and that's giving our patients bad or unexpected news Um, how do you do that? What's your technique?
1: That's a a really important question and when I talk to those that are learners in our communication course they um, often want to learn more uh, technique of how to do that better and it's something that we do every day we give unexpected news every day And one of the concerns is that we can become somewhat, uh, not calloused, but immune to the emotion that the patient may have. So all of the things we've talked about before in terms of listening and paying attention to uh, nonverbal is very important when we're giving unexpected news. I think the most important thing for me is just to stop before I go in to visit with a patient and make sure I know what the information is that I need to share. Maybe it's something that's new on an X-ray. Maybe it's a blood test that's out of the normal range. Uh, It could be something that I think is very simple and easy to cure, but to the patient, it may be devastating to them. And so therefore, I think it's important to stop, know that we're sharing unexpected news. Think of how it may sit on the patient if it's new to them. And then, um, there is a mnemonics that we use for this is called spikes. So how do we set up the visit to make sure we're not interrupted? Um, maybe ask the patient if there's anyone they want to have in the room with me as I share the information, um, getting an overview of making sure that they know why they're back to see me for a review of information. Um, and then delving down a little bit deeper when we need to, but it's, Um, The Spikes Demonics is uh, something that we use, uh, how we set it up, asking for the patient's perception, delving down uh, deeper as an invitation to share more information, certainly asking them what their knowledge is, checking in with emotions, and making sure all the time to be conscious of how we support the patient, whether it's... um, during the conversation we have, at the end of the conversation. We always want to leave the patient with a sense of hope.
0: And this is a time for our compassion to come out and our rapport with the patient Mm -hmm. um, and show as much empathy as possible because this Mm -hmm. is a very, very difficult time for them in most cases. Mm -hmm. All right. We've been discussing the importance of good provider-patient communication skills with Dr. Dan Hurley, an endocrinologist and communications expert. Dan, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you, Darrell. Thank you for joining us for this Best of Topics for Season 1 of Male Clinic Talks Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode on effective communication skills for a time-strapped practice. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Male Clinic Talks Podcasts. Find us by visiting ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe and follow us. Stay healthy and see you next week.